I am loving the series of uh, each other and the love of each other and the power of each other. It's so, it's, I'm loving the love <laughs> that we call together. And so we're continuing that series today. But uh, on Friday night, I tell you, um, we, we're going somewhere, church. But uh, C3's got talent. I know Cole will talk about this a bit later on, but this is a great night. Don't miss it. Not only do you see lots of talented people, but it's actually a core vision night for us as a church uh, where we get to kind of see the next year and get a, a glimpse of the vision, which is all around this. Um, and so I'm pretty excited. I've got a, a bit of a, a vision to share around that night. So don't miss that Friday night. And, uh, and if you think you're half talented, just don't turn up. We want to hear about it. Not just, see who's got half a talent. I'm not sure. Laura's away, the, our marketing expert. We might. That's right. We can talk about that. Even if you've got a quarter of a talent, we know what Jesus is for you. Let's pray. Lord God, as we gather around your word this morning, we're praying that you fill us with such a love for each other that it's contagious, that it goes somewhere, that it actually changes things. So Lord, come and anoint this word in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got a problem, people. Found this in the paper last week. I've been pondering it a lot. There's probably, some, yeah, there you go. It's about loneliness in our world. Uh, there's been a report that's come out, you know, these reports that come out, as they do. And this was the, uh, the inaugural State of the Nation report into social connections. And it tells a grim story about the hearts and minds of everyday Australians. It makes for gloomy but perhaps unsurprising reading. We're lonely, terribly, frightfully lonely. A third of us confess to feeling like this. A third, one in three, feel lonely. One in six says the isolation and sense of disconnect is severe and debilitating. One in six feel like they're, they're so lonely that it debilitates them. Perhaps saddest among findings, young Australians on the cusp of adulthood, their whole lives ahead of them are the loneliest. Nearly a quarter of young people between 18 and 24 admit to feeling alone constantly. One in four young people feel alone constantly, according to this research. Middle-aged are not far behind of those 45, 40, 50, <laughs> 45, 54, almost one in five experience relentless isolation. It tells us that something's broken inside us and around us. This is the secular press, that we've lost our ability to connect. We're wired for connection. The human kind, not the kind that needs to be plugged in and charged overnight. Although it's a good idea too, to do that yourself. Conversation, touch, empathy, tenderness, the sound of someone's voice, the knowledge that you're valued, missed, worthy, 
This is the currency of human interaction. And these are the cells of a lonely soul. You won't find them spending your time 24-7 on Facebook. It got me thinking, this article and a number of other bits of research around just the current state of our world as feeling alone, feeling isolated. One in, one in four people live alone physically. We know that in, in households, lone person households, um, for a variety of reasons. But it's not just that. It's, it's even in that context of just people doing everyday life feeling isolated and alone. And I read that and I go, I've got the answer. I, I know it's called each other. A genuine sense, a genuine connection. And, and when, I, when I read the Bible, I see community from beginning to end. I mean, beginning with God, the community. In the beginning, we created us. It's plural, right? And in the end, what do you see? You see the church, the bride of Christ, the, the angels, the saints, all gathered, worshiping. I, I didn't see alone God dictating things. I see community. And then I see right throughout the Old Testament, the community, the families, Abram and Isaac and, and, the, and the generations and the patriarchs and the 12 tribes of Israel, community. And then I see the birth of the church, community, together doing stuff. And then I see the escalation right into Revelation. I see people together. That's, that's what I see in the Scriptures. And I see the heroes of our faith, not soul warriors, but people of genuine community. David, the Old Testament hero, is not the isolated king dictating things. Come, come with me to 1 Chronicles. I love this scripture. It's kind of funny, um, but it just it tells us the heart. Now, these are the chiefs of David's mighty men. Now, David's mighty men were misfits. Earlier passage talks about how he gathered them. They were the, they were the kind of misfits of society. He said, well, come and, come and be my army. Yeah, come along, whatever you are. Just, he just gathered all these strange people, and they became his mighty men who gave him strong support in his kingdom, together with all Israel. See the plurality of this. To make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. This is the account of David's mighty men. Help me with the, uh, the terms here, the names. Jashabim, a Hakmanite. Wouldn't you like to be a Hakmanite? Like a Viking. A Hakmanite was chief of the three. David had three key kind of guys. He wielded his spear against 300 whom he killed at one time. That's quite a spear. And next to him was the mighty man, was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, an Ahoite. And he was with David at Pastaminim. Pastaminim. Something. Thank you. <laughs> when the Philistines were gathered there for battle. This is the funny bit. There was a pot of ground full of barley and the men fled from the Philistines but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and killed the Philistines in the middle of a plot of barley like these are war stories these are victory stories and the Lord saves them by a great victory three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock of David to the cave of Adullam when the army of the Philistines were camped in the valley of Rephaim David was with them in the stronghold in the middle of battle, they've got the army around there. 
And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. But they've got no water. They're in this cave. The army's around them. And David's going, Oh, I'm really thirsty. I could kill for a drink. (laughs) Then, then, the three mighty men, his close guys, let's do something for our king. Let's, we love this guy. So he, he broke through the camp, drew out water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. They said, hey, Dave, we've gone, we've fought for it, we've broken through, we found some water and we came back and, and here you are. Here's the water, have a drink. But David would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord. He said, far be it from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the lifeblood of these men? For at the risk of their lives, they brought it. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things did the three mighty men. And the passage goes on to talk about all the victories and the people. But do you see community there? Do you see people together? Do you see mutual love? I'll do that for you, David. No, how can we do that for me? You just, you know, this, this kind of love, passion for each other and, and that sense of loyalty. Do you think a bit of that could overcome some loneliness? And then I see, if you jump to the New Testament, you don't, you don't see Jesus, the incarnate God. God himself comes to planet Earth and he starts telling everybody what to do Solo God. What's the first thing he does? Well, being born into community. He's in families. Mary, Joseph, siblings. He grows up in community. God grows up in a family. That should be encouraging for someone. And then he starts gathering people, people, people. He starts gathering the tribe. Sorry, the, the disciples. Matthew 10 says he called them, his 12 disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal diseases. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, a namesake. Simon, Peter, Andrew's brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, and Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Even Judas is listed here. It's one of his friends. How about that? List your enemies. The guy who's going to kill you. Jesus loved his people. He's with his people. Together, community. The picture we have of Jesus is not Jesus alone, except for times where he disappears to be with his father. It's Jesus immersed with his disciples or with the larger crowd. People following him. You see this picture? Old Testament, the New Testament, the love of each other. And then we've talked this month already about Paul. You know, for example, in Romans 16. At the end of most letters, Paul lists out all the people. Oh, and he's Greek. You know, let me just rip through this. I command sister Phoebe, the servant of the church, greet Prisca and Aquila. Greet my beloved Epinatus, first convert in Asia. Greet Mary, who worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus, not the coffee, a name. And Junia, my kinsman. Junia was a woman. 
fellow prisoners. They, they are known to me. They are apostles. We had Amphilochus. We had Urbanus who lived in the city. Our fellow worker in Christ. It's so common that Paul would end his letters with a greeting, a little instruction to his friends scattered all over the known world. It got me thinking, could this be the answer to loneliness, the love of each other? And then I started thinking even more and praying and thinking, there's so many groups in our society that do things and good things. What difference does the church make, really? What, what's, what's our niche? What's our pocket? What's our part of the journey? And you know the common thing in these three passages is the idea of mission. They're not just getting together for the sake of getting together. It's not just that we, we, we like being with each other. You know, we like, last night was a fun men's night. We went bowling and I lost. And Ian didn't. Actually, Colin lost. Yeah. You had the most bump ball. Yeah. I was counting. No, Ian, Ian got through the trophy by a long shot. Yeah. But how fun just to get together and be silly and try and bowl. But you see, there's something more significant that you and I can do together. It's be on mission together. Look at this. David was on mission. He, had a, he was expanding the kingdom. His mighty men weren't there to kind of play court. They were there to fight battles, to extend the kingdom. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to planet Earth and, and open up something. That's wherever Jesus went. There was a mission, a purpose to it. Paul the Apostle took that purpose and, and ran with it relentlessly, on mission, on purpose. He had a job to do, a calling from God to take the gospel to all the, the known world, all the people groups, not just the Jews. Can you see the purpose of our mission is to expand the kingdom of God? And so here's my, my thesis, my idea, my proposal is that community, true community, works when there's a mission that drives that community. True purpose comes, and then community gathers behind it and is meaningful. And that's why in warfare, the greatest mates are made. You know, you talk about, you, you talk to some old diggers, still talk about their mates in the trenches. Because that's where community is formed, when you're battling out together with a common enemy. The greatest mates, the greatest friendships you'll ever have is when you're in the trenches together, fighting for a cause, pursuing some noble goal. So I wonder what those goals were. If, if we were talking about being the church together and loving each other, uh, not just on Sundays, which is good, love Sundays, we talked about that last week. But what about during the week? What does that look like? How, how, do, we, how do we do church? How do we work together as the church to fulfill the mission of God that God has given us. Well, let me just outline, and I'm going to pick this up on Friday night because it's, we're heading somewhere. We're moving in this direction. There's two parts to this mission that we're involved in. 
One is just simply doing good. Doing good. Titus, Titus 3.8 says this, the, the saying is trustworthy. Paul is writing to Titus. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on his things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Paul is saying to Titus, tell your people, devote yourselves to good works. Then he goes on in verse 14. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Again, so as to help causes, help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So just, just do good things. Be known in your community, in your family, as a doer of good. No strings attached. Not trying to convert the world. Not trying to surreptitiously weave in things. Just, just bless somebody. Just do something good. Particularly, he says, help cases of urgent need. Right? So where there's situations of, of crisis and of need, then, then, then we should be the first in there. So that's the first thing. How do we, what's the mission of the church? The first is do good, simple. But obviously, the other part of that is, is that we bring the kingdom of God to planet Earth. And we should know Matthew 28, I think. Right at the end, Jesus had, had sort of convinced people who he was. And he's with his disciples and says, I'm about to leave you. But he said to them, Matthew 28, 18, he said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's his last instruction to his people. And ever since then, the church has taken that and literally gone to the ends of the world. Our mission hasn't finished yet. We're still taking this message to the ends of the world. There's still people who have not heard about this. And increasingly, our world, our Western world, is, is, has not heard about Jesus. But there are other nations of the world where it's escalating increasingly. We've got, to, we've got work to do, people. But you see those two things working together? Do good and declare the kingdom of God. Take the gospel and do good. Now, sometimes those things go together. And it's been the great debate of mission over the years, isn't it? You know, do I just go and do good things or do I weave in the gospel? Well, it's both and. It's do both. Sometimes they come together and we don't want to, we genuinely want to love people. And the greatest way to love people is to share Jesus with them and help them to understand that. But if people don't want that, does it mean we just don't do good things? No, because the Bible tells us to do good to all people. Here's my idea. I think it's God's idea. As we grab hold of this mission, together, community flourishes underneath us. And loneliness ends. As we pursue the kingdom of God and the blessing of other people, 
together, real rich relationships, friendships grow in that context, loneliness will start to peter away. Now, I suspect there'll always be loneliness because that's a longing for heaven. It's a longing to be truly known. You can be in the greatest family, the greatest marriage, the greatest workplace and still be lonely because I think there's a part of us that wants to be fully known that only God in fullness can give us. But we can get past there. We can be known by God here and that's a great solace. And we can be known by each other on mission. One day, we'll be fully known. Until then, let's fight for community on mission, on purpose. So that's a lovely message, isn't it? Yes. So let's just leave it there and, no, no. What are are you going to do about it? Here's a crazy idea. I know that what I'm about to do will mess with people. I know that there are introverts in the room who just go, oh, he's about to make me do something. And I can already feel you shrinking. Hang in there. We're going to talk to each other. I'm going to give you 10 minutes to find three friends or people you've never ever met before. Find a group of four around the room. You might want to move around. I'm going to put a key question up on the, on the screen here, which fundamentally asks this. What can you do with someone else this week that you can't do alone? To do good to someone or take the message of Jesus or both? could be really, really simple. But it's, it's just grab. But see, the point is doing it together. I know that in our individual lives that we do good. I know that. But what about together? What could you do with somebody else? It could be as simple as bless a neighbor. It could be just to get together. Could be to spot someone that maybe is lonely in your community and say, hey, let's do dinner together. It could be as simple as that. It could be a practical thing for somebody. Just it's just stirring the ideas and, and the idea of brainstorming. Right, let's let's write down 10 things that we could do. Maybe one of them might stick. But make a plan. You don't need to make a plan with that person to do that person, but it might be. And you could challenge each other. This week, you've got seven days. Do something good for somebody else together. Does that make sense? There's the parameters. Do good with someone else this week. I'm going to give you 10 minutes. And then after that, we'll, we'll wrap up the service.